Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuller, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno and Marissa Lytle is with me today, a VP of Customer in Consumer Engagement and E-commerce at Demdeco. Marissa, welcome to Third Growth Option Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Marissa, you're you're a multi-channel marketing, business development, strategy leader, whiz guru. You worked for the last 20 plus years, both with B2B and B2C companies, right? Like Teleflora, Vanguard, Jasco. Exactly. So I feel like, you know, I, I could ask you any digital marketing question and you would answer it brilliantly. And there's a 50% chance it'll be outdated by tomorrow. Right, because <laughs> digital marketing is, you know, sort of a moving target, and 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 whatever worked yesterday ain't going to work tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because when I first came to Demdeco, I was kind of reviewing their process that they took to develop their tech stack for digital marketing, and you know, they they did the normal things. They went to a variety of professionals who made suggestions, they they checked the gardener's magic quadrant on all of the pieces that they were putting into the tech stack. What I noted, though, is as I'd come in, I looked at that tech stack gardener review from five years before, not any of those companies were still in existence five years later. So you're yeah. correct in that it changes so quickly that about the time, kind of like your cell phone, about the time you bought it, it's outdated. Right, exactly. So, and and that's why you know I I kind of want to make this this conversation. I do want to make it about digital growth, but uh, you know, digital growth through agility. And and so instead of sort of asking the what, I think the agility piece is more of of the how. And you said to me, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked, and and you said, you know, perfection is not the goal. Learning and iterating is the goal. So how do you help? Others sort of accept that, you know, someone moved the cheese, so to speak, um, but still make progress. But, you know, maybe you just have to do it differently tomorrow than you had to do it yesterday. How do you help others accept that, that perfection is not the goal? I think that, you know, in the past, a lot of executives have always had these, I would call it waterfall tendencies in terms of they had a, a mission they wanted to accomplish that mission. They had a clear start and a clear stop. It's no longer with digital and with business in general, it's no longer about achieving a set point in time or a set objective. It's about basically being agile enough to continue to adapt throughout the journey because we're in this for a long haul, not for just short term. And as a result of that, you have to be very agile and willing to say, I'm going to take small milestones or small learnings as my goal rather than, Hey, I'm trying to double my, my revenue in the next 10 years. You know, instead of making those giant leaps, there's too many variables out there 
to really do that knowledgeably. Instead, you have to say, okay, what are my milestones? Let's just go for those. Let's go for the learnings rather than going for the big picture. Because even though the big picture is important, it's great to have an idea of where you want to be. Ultimately, you can't get there unless you can continue to move along the milestones. So take a hundred small steps instead of five big leaps. I would say that it's not only taking a hundred small steps, it's also being comfortable with taking that step. Many companies try to analyze to death, what's it going to be like when I take that next step? What's it going to do to us? If you make the step small and bite-sized, that's not so scary as it is if you make a leap or make your goal the leap. That could be very scary. Instead, be, be comfortable with just continuing to make forward motion rather than trying to make these giant jumps and then feeling, oh, my God, I failed, you know, if you didn't hit that ultimate goal. So you talked about you, you, you used the word milestones a couple of minutes ago. And, you know, when, when I think of milestones, I do think of them as sort of, you know, rest areas, you know, gas stations, restaurants on the way from New York to Los Angeles, right? And implied in that is that, you know, I can see the entire, you know, I can see the destination and I can see the cornfields and the Rocky Mountains and, you know, in between, right? And to some extent, you know, the destination, if, you know, going from New York to LA, if LA is the destination, in digital marketing, I feel like certainly how you get there is going to change in the middle of the trip. And it may even change the destination to Seattle or Alaska or somewhere else, right? Because digital marketing changes all the time. So I talked to somebody the other day who used the word guideposts, and I felt like the difference between milestones is, you know, milestones are sort of predictable, there are deadlines involved, whereas guideposts are more about beliefs and aspirations that say, hey, we, you know, it's more of a go west young man. Right? <laughs> more of a discovery, yes. <laughs> more of a discovery. Does, does that distinction between milestones and guideposts ring true to you in terms of helping people be agile? It does, but I do think that you have to have reasonable, either way, you have to have reasonable expectations for either your milestones or your guideposts. For example, if you're doing a campaign and you want to see if it's resonating with the consumer audience, with your audience, whoever that audience is, you have to start saying, okay, what is my reach? If here's, you know, my tactics, how are those tactics performing? If my goal was to achieve spectacular results in terms of revenue, am I even making progress in that regard? Or am I simply taking action for the sake of action and not be traumatized by the fact that you might find that's, that's the case. You might find that the tactics that you took are taking a lot of time and effort and not achieving the goal that you're hoping for. Therefore, you might have to redirect or stop in the middle of your action and say, mm, you know what? I'm not making progress here, but I'm not married to this tactic. Let me try something else. Let me do something a little different. Let me change my message. 
And that's the difference between what I consider past marketing campaigns and present. Because in the past, you had this grand, you know, campaign that you put together. You spent months, thousands, etc., putting this campaign together to achieve an ultimate reach or goal. And it was baked by the time it left left the office. But in this case, what you're doing is saying, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see how this message works. And then I'm going to find out if it did or not. And I'm going to adjust as opposed to, you know, throwing everything out the window and having to start from scratch. Instead, you're just kind of iterating as you go. Mm -hmm. And iterating, you know, is, I think it's such an important part of building anything, right? I mean, even it's sort of hated in the boardroom, so to speak, because because the boardroom want, you know, they want to have a PowerPoint with a flow chart that shows, you know, you're going from A to B to C to D to E. And, you know, this is how long it'll take, how many resources it'll eat up, and the goal will be achieved. But the fact is that a plan is obsolete the minute you make it, right? And And you have to adjust and, you know, wiggle and waggle. And I bet you're spending a lot of your time coaching team members and, you know, up, down and uh, across the organization that, you know, we, we have to approach the task, you know, with humility and flexibility. I mean, it's, is, is that how you see agility? I do. I think that it's, you spend a lot of time managing up, managing across and managing down. And it's, hugely focused on communication and understanding. I would say setting expectations out of the gate that this is an experiment, guys. It's not going to be perfect. You are going to experience bumps in the road. Be prepared for those bumps in the road as best you can, but there's going to be some that come that you didn't expect, and you got to be okay with that. That's, to me, the, the biggest challenge for people in my position is to set those expectations across a company that may or may not have been accustomed to that type of iterative process or agile process in their system. It sounds to me, in order for you to be successful in digital marketing, you're spending a lot of time, like you say, coaching and and setting expectations throughout the organization that, hey, this is iterative. We're going to try these baby steps and those, you know, maybe a little bit bigger than baby steps, and some of them are going to work out, some of them are not. It feels like very similar to, you know, what people call, refer to as design thinking, where, you know, traditional thinking is more like, you know, reporting on the past, analyzing the past, which is important, but design thinking is more about how do you embrace the future, ask customers, ask stakeholders, uh, you know, sort of tame the beast of ambiguity. Does the concept of design thinking help in managing agility? It does help in managing agility. What helps more is just teaching your team, especially if you have a more established team or a team that is in a more established organization, that it's okay to mess up. I think that a lot of us, especially senior executives or high performers, as I would call it, we're not okay with fail. You know, we're just not right. okay. We're A players. We want want to constantly win, win, win. And 
So anytime we come up against a situation where it's not a win, we see that as a fail. And in many cases, it's a win also. It's just a learning. We learned what not to do. Um, we learned what potential obstacles we'll face if we take that action. And that keeps us from hitting those walls later on. It's not a bad thing. And I think that that's the hardest part to teach is that it's not a bad thing. Although I don't think it's all that new. A lot of my reading in, in the past from strategic thinking has come from the military of all places. And I love the phrase from Patton that, you know, the best military plans go straight to hell as soon as you hit the battlefield. That's right. exactly what happens <laughs> in almost all marketing campaigns digitally. Um, you can have the greatest plans. You can have all these alternatives. You can have your A-B test options. All of that can be in place. But as soon as you actually execute, something could go really south really fast. And you have to be okay with that and adapt. Because if you just say, well, hey, this is my plan and I'm still going forward, regardless of the fact that this is flying up in my face, that's not a learning. That's right. just being stubborn and saying, hey, I had a plan and I'm sticking to my plan. <laughs> <That's not laughs> it's, it's like I, I, I forget the boxer who said the guy that had his ear bitten off Holyfield no this is like 15 25 years ago so I'm totally dating myself oh, okay. but I can't think yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but anyway he he said everybody has a strategy until they get punched in the nose <laughs> yes <laughs> yes that's right right <laughs> that is right that is right and sometimes we get really married as a team and as individuals to our strategy, you know, first right. we, we are just, it takes so much effort to sell your strategy up, down and sideways right. that once you're committed, then it's very difficult to draw back and say, whoop, that didn't work. You know, right. <laughs> and uh, it's real easy also to just, you know, the other worst option is to just totally retreat. Well, sometimes you don't retreat. You just pause. You pause. You say, okay, what can I learn? Now, which direction do I head? You know, if I hit a rock, I guess I need to be more like water and run around it as opposed to keep running into it. But I, I'm not a proponent of, okay, let's take a pause and totally rethink this because quite honestly, we're living in a very rapidly moving world and stopping and totally rethinking it is also detrimental to a company because you can fall behind so fast, so fast. Right, right, right. You know, I, I think it's that balancing act, right? I had a conversation in a, in a prior episode, episode 27, plan strategically and remain situational. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? It's like, yes, you do have to plan. You do have to make those sort of you know, big, hairy, audacious goals and say, I'm going to double revenue. And as part of that big strategy, you can have, you know, wonderful tactics and wonderful milestones. But if you get punched in the nose, they go out, you know, some of them will go out the window and you have to remain situational and, and agile and, and kind of, you know, I, I love the analogy of uh, be like water going around the rocks. You do. You really do. You cannot be so solid on your strategy that you're not able to adapt when things go wrong because they will. They absolutely will. Just look at the past year that we've had. <laughs> if, if it can go wrong, it potentially 
will. <laughs> and we have to be able to quickly adapt. Otherwise, we have the potential, honestly, of completely coming undone. And nobody wants to have that happen. So I was really impressed, for example, with so many retailers quickly adapting to the scenarios they were dealing with, with COVID, with buy online, pick up in store, turning their store locations into distribution centers for their online, spinning up online purchasing capabilities, even for the smallest stores. They found reasonable, cost-effective ways of doing that. And I was quite impressed by the adaptability of many of these business leaders to the situation because it was a very ugly situation for them to have to deal with. And one that, you know, in March 2020, none of us had any idea. I don't think anyone had a strategy for that in March of 2020. <laughs> it probably would have been a pretty hard sell up the food chain um, to have even presented a strategy if you thought that that was the case. I know that when we were hitting January timeframe, I was visiting with my teams and some of our sales partners saying, you know what? I've heard about this COVID thing. And the only reason I was as tuned into the COVID situation as I was is because my husband's a microbiologist. So he had been quite, quite intrigued um, by that. And I said, we should probably just be thinking about virtual shows as much as we think about our physical trade shows. They thought you were weird, right? And they thought I was crazy. <laughs> Honestly, they looked at me like I had three heads. And um, right. I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm serious. It's possible that we won't be able to do the... They couldn't even fathom not having a trade show. It was really beyond their grasp at that point. And they thought, you know, oh, you're totally blowing this out of proportion. There's no way something like this could happen. And then, boom, two months later, we were locked down. And I thought... Well, <laughs> um, you gave your husband a kiss and he said, you're so smart. <laughs> honestly, no, I didn't. I, I said, really, um, this wasn't one that I wanted to be a winner on, you know, but regardless, um, I'm glad that we were at least thinking about it because we'd already engaged with with help and support in making that happen. So we were ready. It was great to be ready because a lot of people were not. You s either told me or I, I, I might have read it about you that you think agility is your best gift. I do. I, I have um, not that I've been a pessimist in life, but I do think that um, I do have my radar always on for not only what potentially could go wrong, but also for opportunities. I'm always kind of sniffing around and saying, what are the opportunities that are out there that we might be able to capitalize on that our competition isn't seeing or taking advantage of. And many times it's because the competition, just like ourselves, is continuing to play the game the way it's always been played. They're not being agile. They're not forward thinking. They're thinking, how can I optimize the way we do it today? Rather than optimizing things the way you do it today, I think you also need to be looking towards what are the opportunities that nobody's even trying right now? What are the things that we could be getting into based on either our product, our positioning, that we're not seeing anybody else go for? And they might be very odd when you're first looking at them, but at the same time, they might present amazing opportunities for you as a company in terms of growth. 
an example that I can share for is we are looking at how we can take the information that we learn from our direct-to-consumer websites and share that information in terms of which products resonate the most with customers because they come out first, just like they do um, at retail, on the website. So consumers have the opportunity to bite there first. And we share that data with the thousands of retailers that we sell to at a wholesale level so that they can feel confident in the purchases they make. What's going to sell through? Well, probably the same stuff that's selling through already online. That helps to inform their buying decision. And that kind of data can feed a opportunity that we've never seen any of our competitors provide to their customers before. Generally, they just go, hey, this is pretty and it'll sell through at your store. We have no proof. We just think it's cool. Now I can show them some proof. And those little things can make a big difference strategically for how your company performs overall. That's a great example also uh, of, you know, omni-channel thinking where people or wholesalers and manufacturers have traditionally been very worried or wary of having a B2C, direct-to-consumer arm, and selling to retailers because now you're kind of competing against the retailers, but you've kind of turned that on its head by saying, you know what, yeah, we're an omni-channel company, and you know, one channel can help the other with information. Absolutely. They totally can. And the fact of the matter is, out of, you know, all the people who are buying stuff, whatever that stuff happens to be, there's a small percentage of them that are converting online in comparison to those that are converting in-store. I don't see in-store as a competitive situation. I just see online as another option. For those people who choose that option, great. I want to win. But for those who don't, I also want our retailers to win. I don't in any way, shape, or form see them in conflict with one another, but I do think there's lots of opportunities they can benefit one, one another. That's an example of digital growth through agility that I hadn't even thought about, right, before we got on into this conversation today, that you know there are perceived sort of channel conflicts that in reality can be flipped on their head. Totally flipped on their head. There are misconceptions about how these different ecosystems work with each other or don't work with each other that we can break down if we just share data, <laughs> if we just right. share information. Um, because I think a lot of retailers, I know a lot of the retailers that we talk to would love to know, you know, who's checking to see where the local retailers are. Can you share those email lists that you, you create basically as a result of people doing a search on your website for their local retailer? Hell yeah, we can share it. It's those types of things that I think can help to benefit or complement that multi-channel opportunity, which people just, they overlook. They miss those. We all fall in love with convictions that we've embraced, you know, years ago. A friend of mine, sent me a, uh, the, Adam, the Adam Grant book, Think Again. It's on the current bestseller, bestseller list. It, it's a wonderful book that, you know, um, basically, you know, I, I think a, a short synopsis of that book is, yes, please walk into the room with strong opinions, but be ready to walk out of the room with a different opinion because you came across new information. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've seen that 
again, in the last year, a lot. And it's very difficult. It's hard, obviously, to move the Titanic in terms of their thinking. It's very, very difficult to do. And people are not, generally speaking, comfortable with being that agile in their thinking. So it's, in my opinion, my job to help make it an easier transition to that type of mindset by baby stepping them through that change rather than making them gulp it all down at once. As we're talking about, you know, the importance of changing your mind, I just remembered a story about, I don't know if you knew that I, I, I grew up in Germany the first 16 years of my life. So the first chancellor of Germany after World War II was the sort of folksy guy who, you know, was in a press con. This is like in the 1950s. He was in a press conference and, you know, one of the reporters, you know, challenged him and said, but Mr. Chancellor, you said the exact opposite of that last week. You know, how can you stand here? And the chancellor just looked at the guy and said, are you really going to keep me from getting smarter? <laughs> that's a wonderful, wonderful objective. That really is. Right? I mean, that's agility. <laughs> yes, that is agility. And, you know, sadly, it's kind of your audience that tends to go, well, you know, how can I trust anything you say? Because you might change on a dime. Yeah, you might. But having the humility to say, hey, I learned something and I didn't know that last week, that's fantastic from a leadership standpoint. And I think that the more people start to see their leaders, you know, say, yeah, I, I don't know everything and I'm still learning. I'm still learning all the time. That's, I think, the great example that we can be setting so that we we are OK with not being not knowing at all, you know, out the door. Because guess what? We don't know it all. <laughs> <laughs> We're all right with that. And it's tough as a leader because you do want, you want to lead from a position of knowledge. But the reality is you can't possibly know all of it. And as soon as you do, something else comes into the mix that changes that. I really enjoyed this conversation and I, and I appreciate you, you know, taking the time and, and, and kind of sharing your thoughts on you know how to be agile why to be agile why agility is not just a buzzword in the innovation circles <laughs> but but it's a real thing that you know is really helpful i think for us to grow if anybody wanted to talk to you one on one how would they find you maybe an email address or or website or at linkedin they they can reach me on linkedin it's it's literally marissa Lytle, um on linkedin or they could uh, email me at marissa.lytle, L-Y-T-L-E, at demdaco.com. Thank you so much. I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate the invite. Awesome. And uh, hey, if uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thank you, and keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.